the Marvel Cinematic Universe. The biggest pop culture movement since the Beatles, $22.5 billion at the box office, and we found the one guy who doesn't have a clue what we're talking about. With two fellow MCU nerds to help guide his hand along the way, one thing is for certain, we're with him until the end of the line. Welcome to Colin Brain versus the MCU. On your left. Yes, hello and welcome to your favourite MCU podcast designed for your ear holes. And we have reached the end of phase two. Yes, this week we are no longer continent hopping. We're not in space. We're not trying to save the world from cities that are literally falling from the sky. We're going smaller in scale, in every sense of the word, as we watch 2015's Ant-Man. But before we get up to our usual antics... Uh, please starting as i mean to go on boys starting as i mean to go on <laughs> Colin looks like he's done already yeah i was anticipating that one. Oh, <laughs> no there's gonna be too many of these there's already too too many oh. uh, i think we carefully picked them they're quite antiqui antiquated <laughs> i can never say that word no no you fucked that too up. much rust on the grinds mate yeah oh here we go again <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Well, it's the right. saying now. It's the saying Brilliant. now. Rust on the grinds. It's been all over the internet. It's trending, probably. Let's not get it trending. <laughs> right, so uh, please allow me to introduce my fellow co-hosts. Uh, firstly, he's an important part of the, of the podcast, thanks to his quick wit and encyclopedic knowledge of the MCU. But I'm pretty sure he's completely unaware of that and thinks his only role here is to make me antsy sorry colin <laughs> yes i will stop with the ant punts but i can't or can't promise anything yes it's robert trot rob say hello hello <laughs> oh if only this was a video episode so people could see colin right now <laughs> oh i'm rethinking everything right now <laughs> <laughs> george i mean colin looks utterly depressed and um george well, yeah. looks quite triumphant oh. <laughs> we'll stop soon i promise oh, okay. and of course the man you've all been waiting for he's as likable as paul rudd himself uh, and much like every time we see paul rudd we always ask has he always looked this young Every time I look at Colin, I always ask myself, has that beard always been that magnificent? It's Colin Brain. Colin, say hello. Hey, man. That was good. You pulled yourself back there with that one. I like that. Oh, That's thank made you very me smile. much. I didn't put an ant pun in there for you either. And I was prepared <laughs> for one. <laughs> Just about. Okay. So, uh, Rob, how are you this week, sir? Um, so this week, karma has got me. Because... Uh -oh. This last week, you've had a bad back, haven't you, George? Oh, like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, well, after much Mickey-taking, guess who now <laughs> cannot move their neck? <laughs> Calm as a bitch. Yeah, mm -hmm. worth it, though. I spent the whole week calling George <laughs> an old man, <laughs> and now mm. I can't move. Brilliant. It's, yes, it's the worst. We're now old. Uh, Colin, you're only a few years behind us, but it's, it's all on its way, my friend. Oh, uh, yeah, I hear you, man. I'm close and, enough uh, already, I think. Yes. Uh, so then, Colin, how are you this week? I'm doing good, actually, man. Yeah, week's been off to a good start. And uh, woke up this morning, went and grabbed a nice fresh cup of coffee, Oof. sat down and put on uh, Ant Man. Yes, you did. Yeah, and you're going to see me this Saturday as well. Yeah, so you're very lucky. You know it. You know it. I'm excited for that. You can't win yeah, a ball. Pop down. To <laughs> <laughs> 
I have got this image that yeah, when, yeah. when Colin wakes, he opens his curtains and the windows open wide. And then various birds and woodlife creatures sort of well, groom his beard. <laughs> <laughs> Getting ready oh, for the day. Lovely. Like a lumberjack snow white. Yeah. <laughs> now, finishing phase two is something that I feel should be celebrated. This is quite the milestone. Um, and I don't think this should go by without at least a little game. Yes. Oh, so, yes, <laughs> internet... Be prepared to hear Colin groan with agony. He's already done it. As I announced the first ever Colin Brain versus the MCU quiz. Oh no, I'm not ready for this shit, man. Come on now. You're, not, you're never now, meant to be ready but, for a quiz. But, but there are two sets of questions. Rob has his own questions and Colin has his own questions. Can I use I'm Rob not, as my lifeline? No, I'm oh, not shit. that cruel. <laughs> now, the winner will receive a grand prize. That's right. No expense spared on this podcast, boys. The winner will receive a copy of the DVD of the 1998 Paul Rudd and Jennifer Aniston comedy, The Object of My Affection. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) Why is that a prize, I hear you ask? Well, it was the cheapest Paul Rudd DVD I could find on Amazon. But... If you weren't already excited, wait until you get a load of this Amazon review from Stell. Okay movie to watch. Romantic story is a bit boring and unrealistic. Also, not crazy about the love triangle, but Jennifer Aniston, I still love to see you. Three stars. <laughs> As if she reads Interesting it. review. Yeah. So, now <laughs> competition's on. Now you know what's up for the stakes. Yes. Now, I don't know about you boys, but I got goosebumps. If you weren't pumped about the quiz, then I bet you are now. So, five <laughs> questions each, boys. <laughs> I've also, I want to get back to this phase two thing in a little while, but get your quiz out of the way first. Come on. Get your quiz out of the way. Yeah. Get that fucking <laughs> quiz out of the way. Let's get this shit over and done with. <laughs> right. Colin, you got to do a jingle. We'll start with... Yeah, oh, God. You've got to make oh, yeah, a... I'll do a... Drop some I'll fat do a beats. quiz beat. Yeah, I'll do a quiz beat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to play right now. Yo, shit beat for a fucking shit quiz. Shit quiz coming up. Shit quiz. Shit quiz. Shit quiz. It's a shit quiz. Shit beat for a shit quiz. Shit beat for a shit quiz. Shit quiz coming up. Woo! Oh, I made that beat in 20 minutes and I'm pumped up on caffeine. Let's go. So, question one. And this question is for Rob. Robert, what David Bowie song features in Guardians of the Galaxy? Moon Age Daydream. It is Moon Age Daydream. Oh. Oh. One to Rob. (laughs) Colin. Yes. (laughs) We've mentioned his name in every episode of this podcast. Who is the head of Marvel Studios? Oh, fuck. Um, something. Oh, no, I'm not going to get it, mate. It's not happening. It's Kevin Feige. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know the name. Okay. One I didn't know he was wrong. the head. Okay, sorry. Maybe you should listen more during yeah, my... Well, I mean, I'm normally <laughs> nodding off when you start talking on this, to be honest with you, mate. So I'm, it's not going to go very well for me here, is it? You could say that was the wrong answer. Mm. Oh, 
Yep, we could. <laughs> yes, we could. Yes, we could. Question number two for Rob. What is the name of Rhodey's rebranded war machine suit in Iron Man 3? Iron Patriot, baby. Oh, man. Iron I mean, Patriot. come on. I don't care about this shit. <laughs> why am I going to know this? That's why you're getting the easy ones. <laughs> am I? Well. The guy that owns the fucking Marvel Studios? I don't <laughs> care who he is. Carry on. Number two. Carry Let's on. Go. Get it over with. <laughs> Colin, you've just seen the film. Okay. In what city is Ant-Man set? I mean, I guess New York. It was San Francisco. Was it? Unfortunately, yes. Oh. <laughs> they showed the bridge and everything. Did they? They did, yes. Oh, they drove well, past maybe. the bridge. My coffee wasn't strong enough this morning. I just want to quickly pause proceedings with uh, an apology. Um, I know we're only halfway through the quiz, but um, I just want you to know, I've let you boys down, I've let myself down, and I've let Marvel down. Because last week, upon setting up this very episode, I said, for reasons that I could only describe as plain stupidity, that we were off to San Diego to meet Scott Lang, a.k.a. Ant-Man, when it is, in fact, San Francisco. So I heartily apologise to the residents of both San Francisco and San Diego for any offence caused. I am a plonker. Cancelled. I wonder how many people picked up on that. Yeah, well, we just see the internet. Depends how diehard the the Marvel fanboys are, yeah. Question number three for Rob. And it's a multiple choice, but I'm wondering whether I should give you multiple choice. I will. I'm going to be nice. Where does Peggy tell Steve where she wants to meet him for a dance before he plunges into the ice? He doesn't need the multiple choice, mate. He knows. Would you like the multiple choice? I would. (laughs) (laughs) A, the Cotton Club. B, the Stork Club. C, the Coca Banner. A D, the El Morocco. Stork. It is the Stork Club. No. <laughs> oh, baby. You better start giving me some multiple choices now, mate. Come on. Um, no. No? Okay, cool. Question number three for Colin. Yeah. In the opening scene of the Avengers Age of Ultron, okay. what curse word does Tony Stark say that makes Steve Rogers then say and start the running joke Language. Yeah, what was that? It wasn't that bad, was it? Well, it's a Disney movie. Yeah. Arsehole? No, it's shit. Was so it? Cl- close. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, very close. <laughs> In fame. Yeah. Uh, I'm so sorry, um, Colin, but Rob is going to have another multiple choice here. Of course he is. Here. Of course he is. Sorry, get it over with. <laughs> Question number four for Rob. <laughs> What is the name of the little boy Tony befriends while stranded in Iron Man 3? My best mate. Is your, you loved him. Yeah. Yeah. Was it Harry, Henry, Harley, or Holden? Harley. It is Harley. Oh, <laughs> oh Colin. I'm so sorry. Right, come on. This is yours, Colin. You've got is it? This. Yeah, this Am I is getting yours. multiple Ready? choice? No. No? Cool. But this is yours. You're going to get one point. This is it. You, okay. Right, Ready? Yeah. All or Who nothing. Who is the voice? All, well, he's on question four, so we'll see. Yeah, there's still time to get one. I'll be happy <laughs> if I get one, to be honest. I'll be happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is the voice of oh. Rocket Raccoon? Oh. Ryan Reynolds? Oh, it's Bradley Cooper. Oh. oh. <laughs> I was so confident with that one as well. I actually thought I was going to get one. Oh, it is. It's, it's close, but it's not the one. 
<laughs> oh, they're both yeah. sort of like, you know, American heartthrob dudes that ended up in loads of romantic mm. comedies and stuff. Well, like, Reynolds is a Canadian. Is he? Oh, oh well, yeah. there you go. Wow. And question number five for Rob to get the full house. He's getting a multiple choice, isn't he? No. Oh, good. What good? <laughs> <laughs> what, what does S.H.I.E.L.D. stand for? Strategic Homeland Intervention Enforcement Division. He didn't get it. Department. No. No. He missed one word. Logistics Division. <gasps> Logistics Division. I yes. mean, come on. Is that, is that okay? I, I'm All gonna, right, I think yeah. I'll, yeah. Give it to I'm him. Not, yeah. Oh, oh, we've stressed Colin out. We've been no, recorded no, minutes. No, no. I'm, I'm, I'm not looking forward to trivia. <laughs> no. Just give it to him. No, 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 no. I just mean, no, give it to him. It's fine. That's okay. what I mean. Oh, dear. Start as we mean to go on. Your voice yep. said one thing, but your eyes said another. <laughs> All the love went from them. <laughs> Colin, for, for one point. Yes. Come on. I've got this. You've got this. this is You've the one. This. this is the Although, one. Although I've no noticed that you know, if I don't get it right straight, or if Rob didn't get it right straight away, you're <laughs> kind of like you're a bit like oh no, trying to help him get the points. That's because so how time, confident. It's because how confident you were with Ryan Reynolds voicing Rocket. The I was Raccoon. very confident with that. Yeah. Uh, so go on, then, mate. Yeah. Question okay. five. Before being turned <laughs> into the Vision, what was uh-huh. the name of Tony Stark's oh. AI system? Oh, is this the one that has been throughout all of the Iron Man films, the mm-hmm. one that talks to him? Ah, mm-hmm. oh, shit, what's his name? <laughs> oh, shit. You're going to have to give me a clue, man. My, bla- my brain has gone completely blank here. Oh, uh, a clue. It's um, just one name, isn't it? It's, it's not yeah, like it's, a, yeah. he's, he is named after a famous butler. Oh. Surely you can make up a multiple know? choice for this. Oh, okay. That'll you make you, Rob, you make up a multiple choice. Okay. Once I've heard it, I'll oh know. I guarantee you. Edwin. Don't, don't say that. <laughs> That's confidence. <laughs> Edwin. Yeah. Jeeves. Mm-hmm. Clark. Uh-huh. Jarvis. That one, Jarvis. Yeah, he got go, a point. Baby. He got, got the a one. Point. I'm, I'm feeling great now. <laughs> Ready to I'm go. I'm glad I got one. I'm glad I got the one. I'm glad I had a Here copy of... Um, the object of my affection. Steph, oh, Steph's favourite film. That will be sent to you in due time, sir. <laughs> so, Can't wait. <laughs> here we go again. So if you boys could please be so kind as to give me the floor as I provide a background to Ant-Man, to both Colin and our listeners. And as always, Colin, any question, please ask away. And I'm sure between myself and Rob, we will be able mm. to answer so far, so good. Skip the compliments. Let's get on with it. Now, we've obviously not heard Colin's reaction to the film yet. And me and Rob genuinely do not talk about these films before recording uh, to Colin. But I would at least hope that Colin agrees that this is a really fun and fresh entry into the MCU. Uh, now, thanks to the magic of movie making, I'd also hope he has no idea just the level of hell that the development of this film was so much so that it is still sometimes discussed today. Now, way back in the old days around when Iron Man one was still being made, Kevin Feige, who's that? The head of Marvel. (laughs) Well done. Uh, He ran into a guy called Edgar Wright. Now Edgar Wright was the creator and director of this incredible TV show called spaced. He'd just made Shaun of the dead and hot fuzz Two. 
The Hot, Hot Fuzz One wasn't there wasn't a sequel. Oh no! Okay, that's funny. <laughs> Colin, you could edit in some laughter. <laughs> oh, I'll put in some. Yeah, I'll, I'll put in a massive standing ovation. Cool, thanks. Fantastic. Cheers. Kevin Feige asked Edgar Wright how he would feel about coming on board to Marvel Studios and making a film with them. Uh, as luck would have it, uh, way back in 2003, Edgar Wright and a good friend of his, a guy called Joe Cornish, wrote a treatment for an Ant-Man film. So it was a character that he knew uh, very well. It was a character that he loved. And so he sent over that treatment and then a full script to Kevin Feige. And in 2006, that's right, 2006, he was hired to make Ant-Man. It was actually announced that phase one of this particular, what they call the Infinity Saga, would be Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Thor, Captain America, Ant-Man, and then the Avengers. Due to some script issues, uh, it obviously kept getting pushed back, uh, and the rest of the Avenger films sort of took precedence, and Ant-Man was left behind a little bit. Uh, Edgar Wright, although kind of still attached to the film, went off and made another film whilst working on new drafts of the script. The film he ended up making was uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, a fantastic film. Uh, And in 2011, five years after they were hired, Wright and Cornish delivered another draft of the script to Marvel Studios, to which everyone agreed would finally be the final script of the film. So in June 2012, uh, Edgar Wright, he shot some test reel footage of how Ant-Man shrinking would look on screen. I'm pretty sure that footage got leaked because I'm certain I've seen it. I've seen it. Um, Yeah, but just as they were sort of gearing up for production, uh, one of the producers of Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz, uh, a gentleman named Eric Fellner, he was unfortunately diagnosed with cancer and he was one of uh, Edgar Wright's best friends. And Edgar Wright always promised uh, him, uh, Eric, that they would complete their Cornetto trilogy together. So he asked Marvel if he could go and make one more film with Eric uh, Fellner um, if he just, you know, before he became more real, essentially, they went on to make the excellent, or excellent, um, World's End. And uh, in a bit of good news, actually, Eric Fellner did make a full recovery. Uh, he went on to, to produce Edgar Wright's future projects, such as Baby Driver, uh, Last Night in Soho, and he also produced Joe Cornish's film, The Kid Who Would Be King. So by July 2013, Edgar Wright was finally back at Marvel Studios. Uh, cameras were getting ready to roll. However, Uh, By this point, the MCU was very much like a massively connected universe. Edgar Wright sort of envisioned Ant-Man to be a very like a standalone superhero movie, really. And he started to receive some some studio notes on different ways they could connect this film to the rest of the MCU. And now only a couple of months before filming was due to start, they ended up casting Paul Rudd. There was a little bit of tension regarding that as well as to who should play Scott Lang. Uh, Edgar Wright wanted Paul Rudd um, because he's Paul Rudd. Um, Whereas Marvel wanted uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. As they realised there wasn't much youth in the MCU. Everyone playing our superheroes at the moment were were getting on, shall we say. But obviously Edgar Wright won this particular fight and thank God. Now filming was due to... Was set to begin filming in July... 2014 and in may 2014 with less than two months before shooting was due to begin everyone had been cast the sets were built costumes were made edgar wright received something called ant-man shooting script it turns out marvel hired what they call in-house writers to rewrite some of the script 
And then Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish felt that their voices had been completely erased from the script. And remember, this is less than two months before shooting was due to begin. They actually quit, leaving the film without a director. Uh, Edgar Wright didn't really talk about it in detail for a few years. He remained kind of professional throughout it all, but it did spark this massive thing on social media. I don't know if you can remember it, Rob, where various celebrities were taking pictures holding um, Cornettos. Yeah, yeah, I remember. It was uh, in solidarity for Edgar Wright, and Marvel kind of really did look like the bad guys here. Edgar is now being a bit more open about it nowadays, and he recently said this about the whole situation. I wanted to make a Marvel movie, but I don't think they wanted to make an Edgar Wright movie. I was the writer and director on it, and they wanted to do a draft of the script without me. And having written all my other movies, this was a tough thing to move forward, thinking, what if I do one of these movies? I would like to be the writer-director. Suddenly, I ended up becoming a director for hire. Then you're sort of less emotionally invested and you start to wonder why you're there, really. Now, this is a bit of a name drop from myself and Rob, but um, we did actually get to spend around an hour in the company of Joe Cornish um, a couple of years back. Got to talk script writing, filmmaking, etc. He was a delightful man. Five stars would recommend. Wholeheartedly. And of course, Ant-Man had to be brought up. Um, but he was very diplomatic in talking about it, wasn't he, Rob? He was, yeah. Bless him. Um, so, uh, Kevin Feige, of course, uh, has his say on these versions of events too. Uh, he had this to say. I wish it wasn't as late in the day as it was but it had just become clear that there was an impasse that we had never reached before. We've worked with lots of unbelievably talented filmmakers like Edgar before, and of course there's always going to be disagreements along the way. But we've always found a way around it. We've always found a way to battle through it and emerge on the other side with a better product. It just became clear that both of us were just being too polite over the last eight years. Then it was really clear that, oh, you're really not going to stop talking about that note, are you? Oh, you're really not going to do that night? Okay, then I guess this isn't working. Now, literally two days after Edgar Wright left the project, Paul Rudd rang his Anchorman director, uh, Adam McKay, and asked slash begged for him to come on board and direct the film. Uh, Rudd sold the film as being an easy win. He said there was a good script there. The cast was there. Everything, you know, was set to go. They just needed someone to hold the reins, so to speak. But Adam McKay was sent the script and he absolutely loved it. But he did pass on the director's chair saying he was too busy. But he had also come up with a couple of ideas for the script. So what ended up happening was they delayed shooting by six weeks. And both Adam and Adam McKay and Paul Rudd uh, booked essentially a hotel room for the entirety of those six weeks. And they kind of rewrote the film using Edgar's and Joe's script as a backbone. Now, there's this whole debate now as to what's what's in the film now was from the original script and what was added last minute and it's all kind of kept a bit stunned um no one really knows i've always maintained that the train gag at the end with it sort of running over yellow jacket and then us seeing it from scott's daughter's perspective um where it looks obviously very unepic as it just quietly falls off the track i was certain that was an edgar wright thing it's so visually funny uh it's one of the best visual gags of the film but when we spoke to Joe Cornish himself, he said that actually wasn't in his script. That was obviously added afterwards. So th- th- some good stuff was obviously added. 
Uh, Paul Rudd himself admitted in his words that he was devastated that Edgar Wright had left the film, but he did want to assure the fans before they started filming that they would be sticking to his original version as much as possible. I found a quote from him as well saying, the idea, the trajectory, the goal and the blueprint of it all is Edgar and Joe. It's their story. We just changed some scenes. We added some new sequences. We added a couple of characters if you took the two scripts and held them together, they'd be very different, but the idea and the backbone is all theirs. Now, a director was attached with just weeks before filming. Marvel ended up hiring a guy called Peyton Reed, which did scare people a little bit, as his previous work was uh, directing a teenage cheerleading comedy called Bring It On. But despite the last-minute hire the constant rewrites, and the shoot itself somehow was the smoothest shoot in the MCU so far. It was delivered on time, if you don't count the years and years of delays. Uh, It was delivered on budget. The cast got on. Uh, Both the cast and Marvel loved the director Peyton Reed. He must have been counting his lucky stars because when shooting was complete, Marvel contracted him to stay on and shoot future Marvel projects with them. And so Ant-Man was finally released into cinemas in July 2015. In its opening weekend, it made $57.2 million. That was the second lowest opening weekend for the MCU so far. But then sort of word of mouth started to work its magic and more and more people kept going to see it. So by the end of its theatrical run, it actually made $519 million. So just over half a billion. It's still half of what the Avengers movie made. But it is more than what the first Thor, Captain America and Hulk movie did. Now, love the film or not, it was also universally agreed between audiences and critics that Paul Rudd was a much needed and genuinely great addition to the MCU and they couldn't wait to see him pop up again. Which brings us to the big question. Colin, what did you think? Yeah, I, I, this one, this one made me smile. Quite a bit. Oh, you smile. Yeah, yeah I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, yeah, no, this one, like, I think some of the things you said towards the end there about how Paul Rudd was sort of a nice, I mean, I don't want to say a palate cleanser to some, some of the things we've seen, but, you know, it was a nice new injection in that, that world. And mm-hmm. I think the the more sort of comedic value of this one, because it's just ridiculous. Like, it's it's ridiculous, but... Look at the title. Yeah. yeah, exactly, and 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 I think everyone involved. Well, fuck me, it sounds like a lot of people involved, but <laughs> who was ever involved by the end of it, clearly all were on the same page, knowing that this isn't something to be taken too seriously. Let's just have some fun with it. Mm-hmm. And there was some really good moments in it that made me made me laugh. Actually, I was laughing quite a bit throughout this one. Good, yeah. I definitely used the word palate cleanser a couple of times yeah. in my notes. So you've definitely yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there. Uh, so what about you, uh, Rob? How was this rewatch for you? I um, thoroughly enjoyed this rewatch. It felt fresh. Do you know why it felt fresh? Why? Here we go. Audio commentary facts. Breppy. So the audio commentary this time was hosted by Paul Rudd and Peyton Reed, who, as well as directing Bring It On, had directed Role Models, which also starred Paul Rudd. Um, oh, I love role models, yeah, of course. Yeah, so um, they immediately state and Colin all like this, as soon as the audio commentary started, that they are talking into a Shopes or a Shoeps MK41 oh. microphone. Wow. 
expensive stuff. Yeah, that's what they used to record the audio commentary, and it sounded crisp. We're not sponsored. Yeah, <laughs> was that your audio commentary fact? That was, yeah. It's one for Amazing. Colin. I like cool. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good stuff, man. Yeah, I, I liked it. I, I mean, I liked the film when I first saw it and uh, seen it again. May have changed my opinion, but you'll have to listen to the end to find out how. Mm. Intriguing. Clickbait. Clickbait. <laughs> I like it. So, uh, yeah, I loved revisiting this as well. Uh, it's been a few years since I've seen this, actually. I've always enjoyed it. It's just never been too high on my rewatch list but again because i'm obviously psychotic i have seen this three times in the last couple of days um and you know even whilst prepping it um i finished another viewing of it this morning and i messaged rob this morning uh, excuse my language saying how fucking fun is ant-man uh because i think this film is a blast uh it's i've literally got it in my notes here it's a wonderful palette cleanser um you know compared to the really dense dark and maybe overstuffed uh, Age of Ultron that we watched last week, of course. So I'm really eager to delve into your thoughts. Um, so shall we do a little deep dive? Let's do it. Let's, Let's go. Do it. So, in 1989, scientist Hank Pym resigns from S.H.I.E.L.D. after discovering their attempt to replicate his Ant-Man shrinking technology. Believing the technology would be dangerous if replicated, Pym vows to hide it for as long as he lives. Colin, did you recognise two of the characters in this opening sequence? Uh, those two characters being Peggy Carter, Steve Rogers' love interest from Captain America, and Howard Stark, Tony Stark's father. Were you aware that who they were? I did notice them, but I was quite thrown off by um, the actor playing Darren Cross because I couldn't put my finger on where I'd seen him from before. Who's that? Mm-hmm. Who's that? Right? I've seen him before. I figured it out, though. I figured... <laughs> That's from our pilot season, isn't it? <laughs> Crossover, um, baby. Yeah, hello. Um, I figured it out, though, because there was something about that whole scene where I was like, this feels a bit like a TV series, the way it was kind of shot and the well, way it looked and stuff. Darren Cross wasn't in the opening scene, but... Was, was he not? No, because it's set in 1989. No, of course. But, okay, conti- no, this is what happened. No, him. yeah, no. There was a part of that scene where I was like, this kind of feels like it's got a bit of a House of Cardsy vibe to it, the way they're all sat around and the way they all mm-hmm. looked and the way it was shot and the way the lighting was and stuff, and it kind of felt a bit TV show to me at that point. Yep. Mm-hmm. Then I realised when... when uh, Who's the guy who played Darren Cross? Corey Stoll. He's from House of Cards, right? Yeah. Mm. Okay, that and that, that, was the, um, that was the kind the of... First I was like, oh, wait. series and... Definitely the first series. Yeah, I, I, I love Corey Stoll. Uh, in most mm. things, I've got to say that. I think he's great. If you ever seen Midnight in Paris, it's from a director who we no longer talk about. But... Yes, but starring <laughs> Owen Wilson, who we are more than happy to talk yeah, about. Yeah, and uh, Corey Stoll plays Ernest Hemingway, and he's incredible. Oh, in it. Nice. But yeah, that was the kind of running thing. I was like, I was thinking House of Cards, and then when he popped up, I was like, why am I keep thinking House of Cards? And then it kind of clicked that it, he was part of it too, but... Yeah, I did pick up on um, Howard Stark. I definitely picked up on. Yeah, um, good. So we, we're we're making as as the quiz obviously didn't show it, but we're making headway with you. You're starting to recognise. I people. mean, there's there's little bits. Yeah, little bits staying. Not a lot, but there's bits. Good. That's what. That's all I want to hear. <laughs> so, and also, if my MCU knowledge is correct, which it usually is, which if we, it will be, <laughs> this scene takes place in 1989. And here's a little sad fact for you. In just two years, Howard Stark, alongside his wife Maria, would be dead. 
uh, from a car accident, as uh, Tony Stark mentioned a few films ago. So how's that for a nice little bit of devastating foresight for you? It's also set in the Triskelion from The Winter Soldier, which in obviously, like say, like 20 years, we're going to realise that the whole government's corrupt and there's going to be multiple airships crashing into it, possibly killing people. And that building will get exploded, yes. So, Colin, the... Um, <laughs> Uh, Rob, the, the, the de-aging technique here used on Michael Douglas, uh, it kind of, it really worked for me. Did it work for you? Audio commentary. Oh, it's an audio. Oh, it's an audio commentary fact. So the effect was done by a team called Lola, and they shot it with uh, Dougie, um, covered in various tracking dots on his face. Oh, Dougie, as in... Michael Douglas. Yeah, that's what we call him. Fantastic. Our group of friends. He's somewhat of a hero of ours. We had a poster of him in our university house for many years. So I'm not explaining that anymore. Um, (laughs) So they shot it with Dougie covered in tracking dots. And then they shot it with a body double. And then they scanned his old Dougie's face into to create a 3D model. And then meshed all three in order to sort of like de-age him. Incredible. Mm. Wow. Yeah, it, it really, really I worked. looked at it, um, and I said to myself, Hey, Dougie! It's one for the dads. It's one for the dads and mums out there. Collins there lost. Yeah. Speaking of, um, I had a slight bit of uncanny valley on the wider shots of him, which is weird. But the close-ups to me looked incredible. Um, I would have thought it would have been the opposite way round. It's because you've um, seen his ass so many times in these early 80s films. That in the wider <laughs> shots, you were like, that's not him. That, it's throwing me. He's not got his waddle. <laughs> Was that the poster you had up in, your, in the house? <laughs> Maybe. That'd be telling. <laughs> Fantastic. So... Continuing, upon his release from prison, well-meaning thief Scott Lang moves in with his old cellmate Louise. Uh, Lang visits his daughter Cassie, unannounced, and is chastised by his former wife Maggie and her police detective fiancé Paxton for not providing child support. So, I know that's only a tiny little bit there, but I did want to ask Colin, let's go with one of the bigger questions of the day. You've kind Mm. of already mentioned it already. Yep. How did you find Paul Rudd? And are you glad to see him join the MCU alongside the, into this massive, insane world? Mm. Or was it just a bit weird? Um, I love. I really like Paul Rudd. Um, I think movie-wise, the ones that I would have seen of his over the years, probably role models, definitely, I remember enjoying. I love you, man. Mm. Do you remember that one with, uh, what's his uh, name? Jason Siegel. Slap the best, man. That was great. Yeah, I mean, fuck <laughs> me, what a line. Um and, I mean, obviously Friends, I guess, would have been the first time I would have seen yeah. him on screen. And, uh, object um, of your affection. Object to my affection with Jennifer Aniston? Yeah. Reteaming oh, after right. Friends. I haven't, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen that one, but... Um, I'm a Free stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, Paul Rudd to me is, is always fun, and he's always, like, I think he's good at that sort of comedy, like that comedy acting mm. role, and... Um, I don't know how I really feel about him being in the Marvel Universe, if I'm totally honest with you. Mm. Um, because I gather he's going to come back quite a bit. He might have more films of his own, but I I can already see areas where he might pop up in like an Avengers and stuff, you know, to do something that only Ant-Man okay. can do with his skill set. But I'm not 
sure how I feel about him being in on screen with the rest of the the Avengers crew just yet. I mean, mm. I'm open, I'm open to it, but I'm still, I'm just not sure because this film felt so much smaller. You know, like mm. even though it's still a superhero movie and and you know what they're trying to do is is sort of save the world and that sort of stuff, it didn't yeah. feel on the same scale as what we've been previously watching. So. I'm unsure, if I'm honest with yeah. you. So the thought of him standing next to, let's say, Captain America and maybe Thor is just... You I can't mean, maybe compute that yet. I, I can. I just don't know if I want to see it. Okay. I, I, I don't know if... I don't know how I'm going to feel about... Because to me, when he's if he's in there, he's going to be like... A, I can imagine they're going to use him as sort of the, the comedy component of whenever he's there. And I don't really want him to just pop up and be the let's get a laugh and fuck off the screen thing. So Because um, the Avengers movies can be quite dark and stuff like that. Well, yeah, I guess. But I think... I hope there's more Ant-Man films just in, you know, on that sort of scale. But mm-hmm. they were pushing... You could tell by the back end of the film that they were really sort of pushing they, the they introduction. They were setting up him to pop yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so I'm not... I, I don't... Obviously, I don't know where they're going with it. But I hope when they do it, it's done, you know, not just he's the he's the comedic value in whatever scene yeah. he pops up in. Cause I think he can give a lot more on screen than that. Perfect answer. Same to you, Rudd. Uh, Rudd? Rob? <laughs> Rudd? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, how's Paul Rudd in this? I think Colin summed it up perfectly, really, when he, he said that he's good in everything. I mean, I've yet to see object of my affection, <laughs> was it? But yes. I'm sure he's enjoyable in that as well. Also, you called me Rudd just then. I did. You've uh, you you've not been using my Zoom name for the last two episodes, and I'm slightly upset. Yes, you might say you're a bit miffed. Yes, <laughs> yeah. might say that. So, uh, yeah. So, for I'm pretty sure everyone listening knows this um, silly little game Rob has decided to introduce. We love it. Really. No, we did. We did the silly little game at the start, mate. Yeah, yeah like you want to talk? One, where <laughs> we do this, um, obviously over Zoom. Uh, because we all live in various parts of the country. Um, and obviously, um, me and Colin use our real names on Zoom, but uh, Rob decides to change his name every week. So, uh, Rob, who are you this week? This week, I am Darren Mift. Darren Mift. <laughs> Rather than oh, Darren Cross. <laughs> we, we as in it. Cross, as in angry. <laughs> oh, yeah, and then Mift being the slang. Brilliant. And then last week... oh. Because I know people are missing that from the Avengers episode. I was Vision Express. <laughs> like the popular glasses chain in the UK. Well done. Thank you for that, Rob. Um, Paul Rudd's great. Paul Rudd's great. <laughs> let's move on. Uh, so, uh, Paul Rudd, I love this man. Um, everything he does on screen, not just as Scott Lang, uh, it just, he just always feels so effortless. I know it's easy to sometimes call character actors as like the 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 everyman, um, but he really does nail that role. And to see him now get cast as essentially a superhero, granted not one that sort of wears a cape and flies, or not one that constantly feels like saving the world, but he's still a superhero, um, and it just feels really fresh to me. And he gets to bring so many of his sensibilities to that role as Scott Lang, and uh, I think he's a massive part as to what makes the film work. So, also, in this little sequence where he's getting picked up from prison, there is a beautiful little setup 
that for the end of the film that I only just noticed on my third rewatch of the week. Now, at the end of the film, when Luis, uh, played by the incredible Michael Pena, who um, we'll get into shortly, when he ha- when he uh, he helps the team break into Cross Technologies, he gets into shall we say an entanglement with a security guard. This guy's like almost twice the size of him. This guy is massive, and Luis punches him once and knocks him out. And I, I guess I thought, oh, that might look a bit like cheating, you know. But I'm sure that one punch was necessary to, you know, move the plot along instead of us getting into a big action scene. But as Luis and Scott are getting into the van outside the prison at the beginning of the film, they're talking about the prison's very odd sort of release celebration or tradition, I guess, where you have to fight that absolutely massive dude in the prison. And as they get out, they sort of compare scars above their eyes. And Luis says... Yes, he's still got that scar above his eyes, but remember, he's still the only guy to ever knock him out. And I appreciated that little setup that we know Luis <laughs> has got one hell of a punch on him. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, uh, moving on. Uh, Pim's estranged daughter, Hope Van Dyne, and former protege, Darren Cross, have forced him out of his company, Pim Technologies. Cross is close to perfecting a shrinking suit of his own, the yellow jacket, which horrifies Pim. Now, this film, I think it takes no time in setting up the plot, the villain, the supporting characters. Absolutely everything is laid out for us in his first few sequences. Colin, did you sort of like this simple approach, this very quick approach? Or were you wanting or maybe did, did you want something a little bit more more meaty, for example? So, like, take Captain America and the Winter Soldier, for example. That film yeah. really went with the conspiracy theory sort of political intrigue storyline and mm-hmm. really ran ran with it but or like i said do you prefer this sort of simplistic dialed back approach i think the the main criticism i would have about darren cross is that yeah they they throw him in your face from the get go like you just said and and you you know you you gather pretty quickly that he's going to be you're like oh he's the villain yeah he's the villain <laughs> but then i found he just kind of disappears for a while and then doesn't pop back up again until sort of Maybe like past the midway point of when film, he's needed he did to. Really. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so to be honest, I'd kind of forgotten about him by that point of the film. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you, like you said, you see him, you're like, oh, this is the villain. I mean, he's he looks the part, I guess. You know, sort of bald man and in a suit, mm-hmm. and you know, he's obviously <laughs> powerful and intelligent and whatever. And then you just, for me, I just sort of carried on watching the film. The film went away from that area for a fair amount of time. Uh-huh. And then he kind of popped back up, and I was like, "Oh shit, yeah, this is the villain, isn't it?" So that would be—I guess that's a criticism. Um, yeah. I don't really know if it answers your question, but that's how I felt about well, it. The film kind of—I mean, there is a plot, there is a, a, a storyline, so to speak. Um, mm. But they kind of, yes, it does take us maybe a step back because we need to know more about Scott and his dynamics with, you know, yeah, the, which with, is cool the, with the family, and we need to know more about the suit and stuff like that. So yeah, I guess yeah, you're right. I think maybe, yeah, maybe it's just structurally it doesn't really work for me in that sense. Mm. Okay, so Rob, we've now been introduced to Infinity Stones. We've been to space. We've spent time on Asgard. We know Thanos is on his way. Is this really the right time for an Ant-Man movie? You know, a movie that's essentially, if you really boil down to it, a heist movie. So, Mm. considering where this film is in the MCU, does it feel out of step? Um, Not for me. I see it, and it was weird the first time I was watching this through 
where I felt like this, but it felt like a sort of 80s or early 90s Amblin film. Mm-hmm. You know, like Small Soldiers or... It's just like one of those sort of like the Goonies or something. It's one of those films that just, although it just felt like it was revolving around these family dynamics and smaller mm. stories, but with absurd stuff happening in them. And I, yeah, I, for me, it felt like a perfect time to sort of dial back and, and sort of gone to such a big scale. If they went bigger than Age of Ultron, it just would have just continued to grow too big maybe and also sometimes you have to go from floating things in you know floating cities to you know just a family trying to you know a dad trying to see his daughter again yeah yeah i love that it's all part of the same universe Mm -hmm. yeah most definitely so continuing um unable to hold down a job because of his criminal record um scott agrees to join Luis's crew and commit a burglary Lang uh, breaks into a house and cracks it safe, but only finds what he believes to be an old motorcycle suit, which he then takes home. After trying the suit on, Lang accidentally shrinks himself to the size of an insect. Now, Colin, ever since we started this podcast, from episode one, before we recorded episode one, I've always thought Mm. to myself, are we going to lose Colin when we reach the point that we introduce a superhero that can shrink himself to the size of an ant? Because <laughs> in this sequence, in this sequence, we start off in a bathtub. We go to like some party happening in the apartment below him. We go into a vacuum cleaner, into some vents. Mm. We come face to face with like a rat. Did we lose you, or were you on board? No, I, I actually think that those moments in the film where he is the size of an ant. They're some of my favourite parts of the film because mm. it's just so... I mean, absurd is probably a good way to put it, mm. but they make it so cinematic and so epic as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, you touched on it earlier about like l- later on in the film where there's some of those beats where like we're seeing it like it's some fucking crazy Hollywood movie mm-hmm. and then it pans to a human just looking at it and there's a couple <laughs> of those, man, that really got me going, like laughing my ass off towards the end. Um, but I do struggle to see how like i said earlier i struggle to see how it's going to work with the rest of the universe that they've set up Mm. um i i think i probably would have enjoyed this film well maybe this isn't the right thing to say but i'd be intrigued to see this film being made and it's not got anything to do with the mcu just because i can imagine i might enjoy it more yeah because it did feel like they were stretching towards the end to just link all these things up and some of the... Mm. But, yeah. Small Soldiers, by the way, man. What a fucking film. That's one Small of the films Soldiers was a shout. Yeah, yeah, Christ. <laughs> that is a good shout as well. Yeah, there's some big... Yeah, I like that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, speaking of that, um, him, like, shrinking and stuff like that, um, I absolutely love some of the visual aspects of it all, like him falling down into the party and clinging on to the, uh, the vinyl. As it's, yeah. as it's oh, that was so good! It, it looks... And then the needle, and then he goes through the needle, mm-hmm. and it jumps, and then he flies off into the next thing. Yeah, that just looks cool. incredible. Also, the party was set up earlier on. Like the party when you yeah. first go well. into the flat. Yeah, yeah he's walking up the stairs, isn't yeah. he? And there's one going on. Yeah, so I love um, it. That whole sequence. Yeah, a mm. bit of a difficult question for you, Rob. I guess because I know you're a massive fan of Edgar Wright, who I guess I'm name dropping again. We actually did go to uh, listen to him speak for a couple of hours a couple of months ago as well. Um, now, we know you like this film. You've established that. But are you still sad you didn't get to see his version of the film? 
I don't know, mm. really, because some of the stuff that's been added is great. And what's to say I would have enjoyed what, you know, it's, a, it's one of those, well, we'll never know. Mm. I, I, visually, I do think, actually, you know what, despite the fact that it sort of visually fits in with a lot of the, the other Marvel films, the stuff when he is small and we're in that macro photography kind of mm. world... Whether or not Edgar Wright was on board and had storyboarded sequences maybe up to that point or whatever, some of that stuff is visually stunning. Yeah. And certain sequences that I know for a fact were definitely not in the script that we'll get to later are, you know, damn right trippy. Hmm. So I think, well, maybe, who knows, it might have been crap. Yeah. (laughs) You don't know. Like, I just sort of think, well, the film we got here... I mean, not to get too deep, but you could spend your whole life thinking what if and instead look at what you do have and what we do have is a pretty enjoyable film. It could have been a lot worse. Yeah, definitely. I love that. Oh, yeah, especially after the, um, you know, the history that you said at the beginning, George, of how long it took and all the changes and that. This could have been an absolute, you know, mess. Yeah, uh, he uh, Ant-Man was meant to be in the Avengers movie, yeah. He, um, and he was, if he had, uh, if they'd got a draft out in time, they could have had more of a standalone film like Thor or Captain America that isn't mm. having to link in, but mm. they took a long time to do it for yeah. various different reasons. So it's very much it's, what, yeah, I completely. Mm. Um, it's what has been. It's why it got delayed so much. Um, kind of why they had to change so much as well. It's because when they finally agreed on a script that would work, we were right at the end of phase so much two had happened, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like well, we've got to somehow link this otherwise is it going to work and so uh, terrified by the experience um scott returns the suit to the house but is arrested on the way out uh, now pim the homeowner visits lang in jail and smuggles the suit into his cell to help him break out pim who manipulated lang through um an unknowing Luis into stealing the suit as a test wants Lang to become the new Ant-Man to steal the yellow jacket from Cross. Having been spying on Cross after discovering his intentions, Van Dyne and Pym train Lang to fight and control ants. So yes, by now we've fully established our supporting characters. Uh, A few episodes, uh, I gave Colin a list of actors and I said... uh, I asked you if if you believed any of these would ever join the MCU... One of them was Michael Douglas, and you said no. So, yes, Michael Douglas has joined the MCU, and here he is as Hank Pym, and, of course, Evangeline Lilly as Hope. So how are they for you in this? Were they believable as father and daughter? Yeah, no, I think um, the dynamic between the father and daughter relationship was obviously something they were trying to push quite a bit throughout the film, Mm. showing you the Paul Rudd and his his daughter as well. um, Yeah. But I thought they were good, and I really like Michael Douglas, man. I think he's a good actor, mm-hmm. and I reckon I hope he's he he's in it more. Well, that's yes. That's another question for you. Did you do you want to see these two in future MCU projects, or should we keep these two as a a one and done no, and I, move Scott along? No, no. I think some of the dialogue was hinting that there's more to the history of of their like part in the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can imagine we'll see more of them. Also, 
we still don't know who the mum is, right? And I feel like there's going to be a reveal, especially towards the end. There's a picture of the mum, and she's got like a giant hat, and the hat's like covering her face. And that's so like obvious that she's either someone that we already know, or she hasn't or been cast yet. Oh, is that it? Is it? Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, I picked up on that. That's got to give me a point, right? I say hasn't been cast yet. yet. I mean, who knows if they even do want to. Um, bring her in the future but by covering her face it kind of gives them that safety net you know if she ever was to come into the MCU somehow you know then they haven't tied themselves to it essentially they haven't done a Terrence Howard (laughs) (laughs) at this point are the actors still signing on to these crazy contracts where they yes. have to do, like, what, nine films or whatever the fuck it was? Yes, but that doesn't mean that they're going to stay on for all these films. Marvel just signed them on again as a safety net. I can imagine they went down well with the fans. Oh, Michael Douglas in a Marvel film must have been quite a big deal for... Mm. I've been watching it? you for a while, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite good. Become uh, the Ant-Man. <laughs> Colin, did you recognise Evangeline Lilly? Is she in Lost? She's Kate from Lost, yes. Christ, damn, yeah, that's a throwback right there, yeah. So, uh, Rob, uh, Hank Pym in the comics is very different to the Hank Pym we see in this film, oh. isn't he? He is, yeah. He's, uh, when they hint at it in this film, he sort of says, oh, it does crazy things to your brain. And in the, in the comics, mm. it does uh, a lot of, mental shit to his brain he has very like various different personas and slapped his wife around and stuff yeah it's not a good not necessarily a good dude he actually created ultron in the comics rather than tony stark yeah wow that's Um, interesting so he has a big role in the comics then mm, he was one of the original avengers in the in the comics yeah how did that go down with the the sort of marvel you know, the the diehard fan base to take a character like that that's quite big from the comic book world and make him this sort of very different character in this film. People did that. People liked it. People liked they did, it. Yeah. That, that, okay. Yeah. You know, that, that obviously, you know, Hank Pym, yes, and that, as Rob has already kind of alluded to, that he does, there is some like domestic abuse in that relationship as mm, well and things like that. There's one part where he does really shout at, um, at Hope, but it's sort of. It, there's there's an anger there for sure, but mm. nowhere near as much as in the comic books mm. and stuff like that. So instead, they they took aspects of the you know if you have the helmet on too long or if you don't use the correct science, what it does to your brain. They move that onto um, to cross to down cross, and um, but you know obviously they move it across to him. Wee. Uh, but then um, they introduced Scott Lang as well, and Scott Lang was in the comic books as well. And so it, it all kind of worked as an adaptation. It, it all was, yeah. um, it was fairly smooth for sure. S- slight nice. tangent, mm-hmm. but I've always thought that um, old Dougie looks like how Noel Edmonds wishes he looks <laughs> in this film. <laughs> yeah, like when okay. Noel Edmonds, popular British TV, not popular TV presenter, <laughs> sometimes he's um, when he looks in the mirror, I think he sees Hank Pym. Brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With That's a very right. weird and, dirty, uh, and stuff like that. I can see it. Yeah. Let's call the banker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and in this sequence as well, we get a training montage. Yes, I, who, we all love a training montage. Um, we get to see Scott training to become the Ant-Man, whilst Hope Van Dyne harbours resentment towards Pym about her mother Janet's death. He reveals <laughs> that Janet, known as the Wasp, 
disappeared into a subatomic quantum realm whilst disabling a Soviet nuclear missile. Pym warns Lang that he could suffer a similar fate if he overrides his suit regulator. So now, in this nice little fun heist movie, the stakes are suddenly raised a little bit. We learn that, you know, by wearing the suit, there's this possibility that you could not just shrink to the size of an ant, but keep shrinking right down to atom form and spend the rest of your life essentially shrinking into oblivion, which is what has happened to Hope's mother. So, so far, we've sort of praised the film for its simplicity. Colin, was this new development of, you know, the quantum realm uh, a bit too weird? Um, should they have kept this simplistic approach? Or did you kind of appreciate that they tried to bring a little bit more gravitas into it? I mean, none of it. I, I didn't take any of it seriously. Mm-hmm. It's a film about an ant, man. You know, <laughs> like, I, I, I enjoyed those elements because, again, it was like, they just felt fun, mm-hmm. but you know, I mean, it, Small Soldiers is such a good reference, man. Like, because it's it's a PG family film that's just like turn your brain off. It's predictable. Well, it's, you know, no, I don't think the sub subatomic bit was particularly mm. predictable, but you know, the way the film flows is a very family friendly PG mm-hmm. sort of switch your brain off and enjoy the madness. Um. So, I mean, it's a cool element and the visuals of when it happened at the end were pretty mind-blowing, mm-hmm. but it's just a silly film to me. Like, <laughs> I was just... Bits made me smile, bits didn't. I don't think I really watched it with the serious nature of mm-hmm. delving into it in that sort of depth that you did after your 7,000th watch yeah, yeah, I, and your, like, essay that you've written on it to do on the podcast. It's I very true. I have. I didn't watch... I, I, I don't watch these films like that. I try and get through them so then we can talk about it for a couple of hours on a podcast, you know? Just get just get get it over with. Let's get over with. <laughs> I love doing the podcast, but I'm j I just don't I don't sit down and watch films, man. Mm-hmm. It's it's just something that I don't do anymore. Yeah. So it generally sometimes feels like an effort for me just to sit down and put a film on. And I'm not just talking about Marvel films, I'm just talking about films in general. Yeah. So, you know, that's but that's not news. I've said that in most of these you, you episodes. You sure have, sir. That's why people love you, for your honesty. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, so, Rob, uh, obviously all this is designed to help our emotional attachment towards mm. Hank and Hope. Um, did it work for you? Did you want more emotion in the film? Or would that then go on to hurt the film's fun factor? I think the moments where you, we do get emotion make them punch harder because of the humour. Mm-hmm. So Evangeline Lilly's performance while he's telling that story almost completely worthless, really, really emotional, really sells it. Yep. And, and it's coming off the back of a another kind of emotional scene where she's in the car with um, Scott and they're talking about how the only reason he's doing it over her isn't because he thinks he's better than her, it's because he's expendable and he doesn't mm. want... It's a real nice scene and they start bonding and it feels organic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like all the subatomic stuff, like... Have you ever seen a film called The Incredible Shrinking Man? No, I haven't. Right, it's like a B-movie from 1957. Mm. Also, the main character is called Scott. Um, <laughs> out of interest, I don't know if that's where they got the name for Scott Lang as a reference to this. But it's um, the screenplay is written by Richard Matheson, who also wrote I Am Legend. Oh, yeah. And um, not the Will Smith film, but it... It, it ends up going into this sort of real dark place, this guy that just can't stop 
getting smaller and smaller and it starts off that every, you know he's half his own height and by the end of the film he's essentially becoming subatomic mm. and it's just really interesting how they sort of put elements of that into a marvel film for me nice i love that yeah that's really cool um i, I recommend checking out it really isn't that date some of the effects are you know a bit dated dated but mm. considering it's 1957 mm-hmm. it still really holds up as a as a film it's great yeah we'll double bill it with the object of my affection yeah <laughs> so uh hank and hope send scott to steal a device that will aid their heist but the um, building turns out to be the Avengers headquarters, where he briefly fights the Falcon. Colin, did this, you maybe alluded to this earlier on, did this feel shoehorned in, or was it cool to see Scott go up against an Avenger? I mean, both. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it felt shoehorned in, but it was still quite fun to watch them go at it together. Mm. Cool. I think um, he was the the right Avenger as well for him to go against. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, I think it maybe would have took, taken us out of the film if it was anyone else. Um, oh yeah, if it was any of the big ones, that would have been a bit too much. I think too. Soon. Plus, he was probably the cheapest. Um, Rob, <laughs> same question to you. Um, was it cool to see Ant Man go up against the Falcon? Uh, does and does the film really need this sequence? I mean, he doesn't need it, really. He could have stolen it in some other way. But the idea of him having a test heist, I think it, that kind of serves a point. I think if it wasn't at Avengers, it would have just been somewhere else. I think it was quite interesting for him to sort of prove himself. Mm. There's that scene after when Hank's like, yeah, that was dangerous, you risked it, and he, he gets to prove that, yeah, well, I did good. Yeah, and I think mm. that's an important moment and if you're gonna do it why not tie that into everything else i like that a lot i know i love that um i tend to find myself a little bit mixed about it because i can remember being a little under well underwhelmed isn't the right word but maybe disappointed in marvel for a little while over this sequence because i remember seeing it for the first time in the cinema and thinking that you know as much as i love that all these films are connected and we're building obviously a much larger story I loved that this film kind of felt like its own thing. And yes, I obviously had that whole Edgar Wright situation playing in my head as well. But and when so when this sequence popped up, I was a bit like, fuck Disney, fuck the man. Um, <laughs> you know, because I was like, they definitely this was this was not in Edgar's script, this was oh, added. Okay. But now, um given time, I can appreciate the sequence. I think it's fun, I think it's lightweight. And also, you know, based on the ending and a certain post-credit sequence, it also might be important. But we'll get into that eventually. I've just thought, though, Mm -hmm. literally while we're talking, so that facility is in upstate New York. They're in San Francisco. How long was he on that ant in that plane for? That's why I said New York, you know. I think I deserve that point at the beginning. <laughs> Some of the film was. But if you want the, cop- the object of my affection, the DVD, not, <laughs> not the actual object maybe, of my affection. But Maybe we should just get together and watch it together, you know? Yeah, yeah I think so. Bonus episode. Uh, I, yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. But um, was, he still got there by plane, though, didn't he? Yeah, but I'm just wondering how long he had to be on that plane. That's from West Coast to East Coast, isn't it? That's a long old flight. I think Rob's um, Googling it. So, 
edited Rob stepped in here, cut all the guff in between. <laughs> it's five hours and 35 minutes Scott Lang sat on there to do that mission. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you said? It's fine. What? So if you jumped out after being on a plane for five hours and 35 minutes, right, and someone went, abort the mission. I go, no, fuck off. I'm not wasting <laughs> 11 hours of my life. No, it definitely <laughs> so makes sense back. that he definitely continued yeah. the mission. And how's he getting back? He w- how did he get back? Definitely didn't fly by Ant. But Anthony's wings are tired. Yeah. You can't oh. start finding all these plot holes in these films. I'm changing man. my, rain- my ranking. No, he's not. <laughs> no, he's not. You've got to <laughs> switch your brain off for this. Lost no. me. So, uh... I've been woken up. <laughs> So uh, Cross perfects the yellow jacket and hosts an unveiling ceremony at PIM Technologies headquarters. Lang, along with his crew and a swarm of flying ants, infiltrates the building during the event, sabotages the company's servers and plants explosives. When he attempts to steal the yellow jacket, he, along with uh, PIM and Van Dyne, are captured by Cross, who intends to sell both the yellow jacket and the Ant-Man suits to Hydra, Bloody Hydra, always popping up. So, we've mentioned him before already, but let's keep going. Villain time. Colin, where does Darren Cross rank in terms of Marvel villains? Mm. Not that. Uh, sort of middle, middle of the road, Mid-range? I guess. Are we I mean, talking I'm trying, even, I'm trying to even think about... You've had Obadiah yeah. Stain. Obadiah Stain. Had... Yeah, go on, Rob. Let's see if we can remember the villains. Because I don't remember any of their names. <laughs> yeah, the Abomination. You've had. I mean, Loki would be my favourite, right? Yeah, Ivan Ivan Vanko. Uh-huh. You've had um, Loki. Then Loki. Red Skull. Oh, Red Skull. Yeah. <laughs> What's his name? Aldrich Killian. The Iron um, Man Three. Yeah, Ronan the Accuser. Ronan the Accuser. The government. The government. Alexander yeah. Pierce. Yeah. <laughs> and Ultron. Okay, so he's probably a little bit higher up than the middle, mm-hmm. I would say, because, um, like I said earlier, he's not. there's not a whole lot there, but I do really appreciate the fight scenes that he has when he actually has the suit on towards the end. They're oh, some of my yes. favourite. Yeah. I find him frustrating. Scenes. Because mm. in those early scenes, you've got the signs of a real good villain. Like when he, he's yeah. like, he's talking to that Frank, his name is, and he's like, Frank, we'll have a discussion. And he goes into the toilet and shoots him into this little tiny pulsating blob. Oh, that was wipes great. him off the I floor. I totally forgotten about that. That was yeah. really good, actually. I love that moment. Which leads me to when he turned. That's right. Beat you to it. Beat you to it. Look how offended he is. Look how offended he is. That's like when someone gets on another person's motorbike. (laughs) Just don't do it, man. That's that's my trumpet. That that goo. You keep my trumpet out your mouth. (laughs) 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 That goo that they wiped away was strawberry jam. Well, it wasn't. It was CGI until they wipe it. And then it's, as soon as the tissue goes across the frame, then it's strawberry jam. Oh. If you'd have listened to the audio commentary, <laughs> with your free watches, one of them could have been audio commentary. It wasn't on Disney but Plus. No. no, of course it isn't, because you don't own the Blu-rays. You go for the, <laughs> you go for the inferior 
viewing picture quality, and you don't get the He's audio not commentary. He's a true fan, is he? No, we've He's we've, not a set him off. Fan. we've set him off. <laughs> I'm angry now. He's clear. Um, I'd be so angry, I, mate. I'm actually I've, quite insulted. I've, that I've got a backup because the other scene I was going to talk about with Darren Cross is um, the whole lamb stuff. They're bringing the lambs mm. in to be tested, um, and <laughs> audio <laughs> commentary <laughs> facts. Didn't even sing the song either. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. Yeah. I was. I was, you didn't. Bit, I was rushing. I was scared. What a half-assed attempt. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so the day they shot the lamb stuff, uh, Peyton Reed said they got film of it, and it was the cutest little lamb ever. Obviously, the lamb wasn't hurt or anything like that. They got all the filming done they needed to do. They broke for lunch, and the catering team served everyone lamb chops. No. Oh, my oh God. Dear. Yeah. He was like, I don't think it was unintentional, but everyone <laughs> felt very awkward. <laughs> yeah, but. So, um, yeah, I think Cross kind of works for me. Um, I'd still rank him as like a lightweight villain, though. Um, mm. The film has a lot of heavy lifting to do, you know, in terms of, like I said, it has to introduce this whole new cast of characters. The Pym Particles, mm. the suit, the quantum realm. And as much as I would have loved to have spent more time with Darren Cross and get to know a little bit more about him, because he's pretty one-dimensional, I think they know that. So they try and dig mm. themselves out of a hole by, you know, regarding that, oh, he's experimented too many times to try and replicate the Pym Particles and his brain has been affected. So that way they kind of glance over very quickly whilst also using it as a way to explain any villainous things he does. Also, on my third rewatch, I noticed one of the um, Hydra fellas that starts shooting when all this kicks off uh, had a tattoo on his neck of ten rings, which was the Mandarin's um, little Mm -hmm. group of villains. But Mm. the Mandarin in Iron Man 3 was announced to not be real. So, And also... It's the logo behind the group that kidnapped Tony Stark. How strange. Mm. That's just there for the fanboys, surely. Strange. That's just there as a little Easter egg, isn't very, it? Like, oh, it's the Ten very Rings. Very strange. Oh, no. Are you setting this, <laughs> are you setting this up because it means something? Who knows? Oh, yeah. All right. Cool. Mate, okay. we could have done this a million times. And this. You don't know who Kevin Feige is. <laughs> yeah, true. Like I said, it's going to go over my head anyway, so... <laughs> I could say that Thanos um, punches an elephant in the face, and then next week you'd go, "What, what was that bit about Thanos?" <laughs> well, now I'm going to look out for that in all the films. <laughs> yeah, so. you'd be disappointed if it doesn't happen. <laughs> I think he's going to be disappointed. So uh, <laughs> Lang breaks free, and he and Hope dispatch of most of the Hydra agents. Hydra agents. Um, though one flees with a vial of Cross's particles and Pym is shot. Lang pursues Cross while the explosives detonate, imploding the building as Pym and Van Dyne escape. So now we are deep in the third act. The shit has hit the fan, Colin. Hank's been shot, but I think the film sort mm. of still retains its energy, its fun. Um, I love the reveal that the tank on Hank's keyring is an actual tank that he's shrunk. Mm-hmm. Um Colin, did you appreciate that it kind of kept this sort of fun tone into the third act? Or when shit hits the fan, did you want it to go a little darker? You know, could they have maybe killed Hank? Would that have raised the stakes even more? I mean, it would have raised the stakes more if they had killed him, but I wasn't expecting that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, yeah, I mean, the, this this last, or the, 
this third act of the film. I just thought it was a lot of fun, man. I was just, mm. I was in for the ride at this point. I wasn't expecting it to get too deep. No, I wasn't expecting it to get um, darker or anything mm-hmm. like that. And I think all those little moments like the tank key ring and what happens with Thomas the Tank Engine and the and the ant that turns into a pet yep. at the end and stuff, like all that stuff worked for me. And I feel like they got really creative with the action sequences here. Mm-hmm. And it's probably some of the, it's probably up there with some of the best action that I've seen in a while in this mm. franchise. It's during this sequence as well, isn't it, when he gets in the helicopter and there's a whole fight scene that takes place inside a briefcase. Inside yeah, a helicopter exactly. that's falling. All of that. And then we're, we're, is that the part? And then the briefcase falls into the swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when when one of them comes flying out of the swimming pool, the uh, the sound design that goes in there is like a like it's like someone's dropped something into yeah. a, like like a, a cup of water. <laughs> yeah, I love all that stuff, man. All, all of there, that was really getting me going. There was a death. The death of Anthony. Anthony. Oh, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. Left yeah. that brilliant slow motion shot of its wing falling of the wing, through the yeah. air. <laughs> Anthony! I don't know yeah. whether that is literally meant to be a sad moment or whether it's just beyond slapstick because it could work as both. It's such a wonderful <laughs> shot. <laughs> Audio commentary facts. Trumpet is back in his mouth. Yep. Wow. <laughs> so Peyton Reed said that he he wanted to challenge himself to see if he could make the death of Anthony as sad as possible. <laughs> Not, again, probably for a mixture of both, for it to work either way, yeah. you know, comedically or... Um, exactly. But yeah, that whole sequence for me, that whole action sequence where he's running through the the sort of like scale model of the house. Oh, yeah. And... Um, it's like the bullets going through it are like missiles because of how small he is and mm-hmm. running along the barrel of the gun and all mm. that stuff really works for me. I think it's incredible. They pack so many laughs into that sequence as well because you've mm. got, and we're going to get into mm. these guys now, but um, you've got Scott's obviously little trio of criminal buddies as well. And there's this great moment when they're in the van and the police are running, Paxton is running towards them. And he's like, they're screaming, stop the van, stop the van. And I think it's Luis rolls down the window and he's like, what? What? I can't hear you. There's a tank. It's too loud. It just drives off. <laughs> Blaming the tank. Um, I love these guys. Yeah, Luis is... Oh yeah, we haven't talked about him enough. He's one of my favourite things. So like, in th- that first scene, he wins me over. Because there's a line where he... Um, Scott says to him, how's your how's your girlfriend? Are you, are you still together? And he, and he says, the whole thing's smiling. He says, she left me and my ma died and my dad got deported. And I got, but I got the van. I got the van. Yeah. And he pulls up a little peace sign as well. Like, I got the van, though. No. Just like that optimism is brilliant. And all of his sequences where he's described pitching this heist to uh, to Scott and the miming that takes place with it is just so inventive and fun. It's a, it's, um, it is. They've, they've they invented this whole new way of delivering exposition that completely works and is really fun. Um, and you've kind of gone. You've hinted at like optimism there. You know, the optimism of him listing everything that's gone wrong in his life, but he's still got the van, though. Hmm. And I think there's this optimism that spreads throughout the whole film where everyone has this one line where, you know, it just it just spreads. It's really infectious. And another line like that was um, when Scott, at the beginning, arrives to his daughter's birthday party and he hands her the teddy bear and it's the ugliest yeah. little bear you've ever seen. And she says, um, oh, um, he's like, doesn't she say something like, oh, he's really 
ugly. It's the, the ugliest thing I've ever seen, I think she says. Yeah. And I, but then but she I says, love I love him. him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And also in that line, that has, I think the line that makes me laugh the hardest in the film because of how quick it is as well, is when he arrives and she runs off and says, I'm going to go tell mummy that you're here. And as she runs back, she says, Mummy was so excited oh, to hear yeah. you were here, she choked on her drink. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love it. Uh, so let's talk about those, um, his little team of thieves. Um, Colin, were they needed in the film? Because obviously they're definitely part of the comedic relief as well. Um, should mm. we have focused more on, especially in this last action set piece as well, should we have focused on just the trio of Scott, Hope and Hank? Did we need another trio also getting involved in their own little shenanigans? I mean, it's again, it's kind of hard to say because I think if it was a standalone movie away from the MCU, then we could have had a lot more of those guys being involved mm. and they could have had a lot more of an involvement in the overall story. But I thought they, when they were on, it was great. You know, it was fun. It was funny. They all had their own sort of, you know, personalities that, mm. and their own sort of comedic style. And, um, and I liked them. But again, like, it's a two-hour film and there's... I mean, again, it's a much smaller film, but there's still a lot that they had to kind oh. of pack in. He's <laughs> like an Small. Uh, yeah, small film. Um, <laughs> we're going to yeah. need that laughter track again, Colin. <laughs> yeah, we'll get the laughter track out. I mean, obviously, is it Mike? What's the guy that played that, Luis? I've Michael seen him in a Pena. lot. Pena, is it? Yeah, he's great. And I'm glad that he was sort of like the main out of the three that got a lot mm-hmm. more. Uh, the other two were, you know, a bit more throwaway, I guess, without insulting them. But I um, did like um, the actors called David Dalmatian. That's Dalmatian, yeah, yeah. He um, oh, yeah. he plays a character called Dave in it, and um, mm. when when Scott Lang shrinks for the first time, he says, "This is the work of gypsies." <laughs> oh yeah, that was good. They got yeah. a laugh from me. The babushka yeah, that, that did get a laugh. Yeah, that got a laugh from me as well. Uh, and was it was. Was the other one T.I.? Yes. Yeah. So I read that earlier on. Which is and quite random. I don't know who T.I. is, but... Um, I mean, he's, he's a rapper. Right. Yeah, he, I mean, he, I don't know how much he's done in the last sort of decade or so. Quite but dappy. I remember him from... Like, yeah, I, I remember him from, um, you know, like sort of high school days, oh. I guess. He had a few hits back then. No, I enjoyed um, him in this. It was, it was odd. I, I wouldn't have ever thought that T.I. would pop up in a Marvel film if you had told me that, mm. you know. So that was a big sort of like... It was a. It was we a should surprise. have put that on your quiz all those episodes ago, George. That would have thrown. Yeah. Thrown Gollum. Yeah. yeah. Is Ti yeah, exactly. going to pop up yeah, in uh, Marvel movies? But I think I prob I probably would have put money on that you wouldn't have known who Ti was. I have no so idea. I, have I still yes. don't know. Yeah. No. <laughs> so uh, Cross dons the yellow jacket and attacks Lang before Lang is then arrested by Paxton. Cross takes Cassie hostage to lure Lang into another fight. Lang overrides the regulator and shrinks to subatomic size to penetrate Cross's suit and sabotage it to shrink uncontrollably, presumably killing Cross. Lang disappears into the quantum realm, but manages to reverse the effects and return to the macroscopic world. So here we are. We've talked about it a couple of times. We have the final set piece for the film. Colin, in just the last episode alone, you said you were already feeling what we'll call uh, final battle fatigue. Uh, in your mm-hmm. words, you said you were getting a little bored of seeing our heroes fight hordes in the final set piece. So now, amazingly, an episode after you said that, our final set piece takes place in a little girl's bedroom. 
Do you <laughs> regret what you said about the MCU's final battles, or was this just what you needed? I definitely don't regret what I've said about any of this stuff. But um, <laughs> this this one was was much yeah, this one was much better, and I love the fact that they played so much on you know the fact it ended up on like a train track in that world, mm-hmm. but it's a little kid's train track in a bedroom. Yep. That stuff for me was was brilliant. Yep. I loved it. It's a great, great, really inventive sequence. And like I said earlier on, the second I watched it, I was like, this is all Edgar Wright because it's so clever and it's so fun. But turns out mm. it was all, looks like maybe Paul Rudd and Adam McKay. So mm. Rob, like we said, there's so many wonderful beats in this last fight scene. Surely it is appropriate that it's all on a on a smaller scale because I think, you know, uh, Hank says it earlier on in the film, it's not about saving our world, it's about saving theirs. Uh, is there anything else in particular you quite like about these final fights or sequences? Also, that line that you just said is one of my favourite lines in the whole film. Yeah, it's good. I think it's great. Yeah, the whole sequence is brilliant. I think going back to what Colin said as well, that I always find it funny when you have an epic build-up to something and then it's followed by a little like yep. sound effect <laughs> yeah. or something ridiculously like the other end of the spectrum. And they do it again just before this when Scott hits Yellow Jacket into the fly zapper with a ping pong ring. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just the same like little like... As it hits <laughs> yeah, it. that was great. Brilliant. And I love like all the stuff in the bedroom feels epic at the same time like he's running out of the the fields of carpet but mm-hmm. with all the ants following him like an army of ants it's all just really really fun and like mm-hmm. at this point you don't really care that darren cross isn't like he's a perfect first villain for ant-man because it's like mm. i don't know i think you, you mind sometimes in in other films when like they just do a carbon copy of the the hero like Oh, it's a bad Iron Man or whatever. This is essentially just evil Ant Man. Yeah, yeah. But I don't really mind because the rest of it is so fun and mm-hmm. inventive. Yeah. So, Colin, we briefly, like I said, get to see some of the quantum realm as Scott goes mm-hmm. subatomic. Now, I don't know if I've told you this, but I have a massive 4K television. Now he's always on about it. <laughs> I think I remember getting the photos of you when you just bought yeah, it. Yeah, the direction of it. You struggled it was to have too a big TV to go up st- on my wall. You, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you had to buy a new TV stand for it, didn't now, you? Or a new wall. <laughs> yeah, a new wall. Uh, during this sequence, I thought, and I could be wrong, that something looked hmm. a little out of place. I'm wondering if you saw something similar. So, uh, are you talking like an Easter egg, a Marvel Easter egg, or something visual that didn't look right and maybe a little bit of both (laughs) can you give me multiple choice no i didn't i didn't pick up on anything not that not that comes to mind no rob did you notice anything? i liked it though well yeah oh (laughs) of course he did silly question actually wasn't it (laughs) i didn't first time watching it though so i'll say that much okay i wouldn't say colin's um you know missed something glaringly obvious Mm. At what point? Uh, At I what think point it's, in this? this... I, I, actually, you see something twice. Once when he's shrinking down and about the last second before he reappears again. Hmm. I'm happy to say what I think I saw. Okay. I thought I saw the outline of another famous comic book character called the Wasp, who is Janet oh. Van Dyne. 
Okay. Oh, so she's there still. Um. So we know. Next time, baby. Next time, <laughs> baby. That's that's all I'm gonna. Yeah, let Rob. Yeah. Next time, baby. <laughs> With a question mark. Perfect. <laughs> Okay. So, out of gratitude for Lang's heroism, Paxton covers for Lang to keep him out of prison. Seeing that Lang survived and returned from the quantum realm, Pym wonders if his wife is alive as well. Later, Lang meets up with Luis, who tells him that Sam Wilson, a.k.a. the Falcon, is looking for him. I've just remembered as well... There was one tiny little beat in that final fight sequence that I forgot to mention, and it's the biggest laugh of the film. It's when they use the um, enlarging sort of chip or particles Mm -hmm. on the ant, and it runs downstairs past the cop, and he says, that's a weird-looking dog. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think any time they enlarge stuff was funny. Like, they did it to a gnome earlier on, and that got a big laugh out of me. And the big big Thomas coming through the wall was uh, hilarious as well. It's wonderful. (laughs) That's one crazy-looking dog. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, So, yes, uh, the movie ends with Scott discovering, um, through another wonderful Luis monologue, that Sam Wilson, uh, the Falcon, is looking for him. But for what reason? Maybe a certain post-credit scene might help illuminate or further confuse us. So, Colin, final <laughs> thoughts on the film, or is there anything I've missed that you want to talk about? Um, no, I think I've probably hit most of the main points. Ooh. It was a fun film. I enjoyed the action. Paul Rudd's great in it. There was a couple of new characters that are quite intriguing to the world. Uh, I guess the criticisms would probably be that if, and I get it now because I, I understand the history of the making of this film, but it felt quite tacked on to the world and it felt sort of like it was being shoved in your throat, mm-hmm. uh, shoved down your throat a little bit. And again, like I said, and this is just purely subjective, it's a very PG popcorn family film to stick on and that, and that's just not really what I'm that bothered about doing. Yeah. And I think I probably, that's, that would sum it up for me. Mm. I think this is the first time I've reached the end of one of these episodes where I have no idea what you're going to rate it. Um, so mm. then... Yeah, actually, I don't even know. I haven't even thought about the rating, oh. to be perfectly honest with you. I literally haven't. Well, then... I mean, I... Yeah, you, you have about a quite... minute, sir. Um, okay, cool. I'll have a think. <laughs> uh, so, Rob, uh, like I said, any final thoughts on the film? Is there anything I've missed that you want to talk about? There is something you missed in that last sequence, and it was Excelsior! Yes! Of course! Mm. Oh, yeah, he came in late <laughs> so as well, in, didn't he? Jesus. Yeah, he did, right right in the last uh, knock-ins. <laughs> so, um, during Luis's uh, talk about how Sam Wilson found out... So, yeah, Stan Lee, in this one, is playing a bartender saying, Yeah, crazy stupid fine! <laughs> and he does it really well, I must say, by... Uh, Luis's, and also it leads me to a final audio commentary facts. Oh, that's kind of trying to do a late minute. Uh, Stan Lee, Stan Lee, yeah, there I didn't got really it. work. I got it. So, Paul Rudd said that his favorite day on filming this was the day that Stan Lee came to set, and he sat down with Stan Lee for an hour and chatted to him about Ant Man. And uh, Stan said how he'd wanted to see this film the most as he felt the comics could never portray the sheer scale of being small in the same way as a film could. Oh, amazing. 
Oh, that should have been your trivia. It should have been, but oh boy, <laughs> just you wait. <laughs> you asked me what I thought of it. I love that it's all just about family, really. It's about two fractured families. You've got um, the estranged Hope and Hank. You've got Scott being estranged from... I mean, that's that scene when they're around the table at the end and you've got, like, a stepdad showing the biological father her doing a cartwheel and they're all happily around that table together. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Mm. I love it. Like, I, I like that the stakes were about... a that saving their world and not saving the world. I think that was needed. And I think it, it's why it might be one of my favorites. Oh, we'll get to that. Oh, wow. Crikey. I like this. Cool. Um, so speaking of, let's jump into it. Our rankings, which we're going to put on our letterboxd as well. Uh, out of five, Colin, John brain, Ant-Man. Hmm. I think I'll give it a 3.5. I thought, that, yeah, okay. I'm happy with 3.5. Yeah. It, was, it was fluctuating between 3 and 3.5, but like I said, the action and Paul Rudd and all the all the positives outweigh the negatives, so it's a 3.5. I like that me. a lot. Uh, Robert Trot, over to you. It's a 4.5. Wow. Lovely Whoa. stuff. Biggie. That's cool. Uh, for me, it's 4.5. So we've all gone in a little row together. 3.5, 4, and 4.5. Um, yeah, like I've said, um, I've. What? Well, I said 4.5. That's what, yeah, and I've yeah, gone Rob 4. 4.5. So 3.5, 4, oh, 4.5. You just, you just you said, said 4.5, dude. But for my score, no, yeah. it's 4. Yeah. 4 out of 5. Rewind. Okay. Rewind the tape. You said 4.5. Did I win? I'm an idiot. 4. Yeah. 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 4. <laughs> Too much rust on too, the grind. Rust on the grind. I love it. I love this shit. Uh, yeah, so I've said the word many times over the course of this episode, but the film really does feel fresh. Um, as much as I sometimes enjoy uh, Age of Ultron, this feels the complete opposite. And that's really exciting to me because mm. it shows that all of these films are interconnected. They all have the same end game. <clears throat> it shows that although all these films are different tones, um, yes, it would have been super interesting to see Edgar Wright's version as well. It's a miracle that this film is as good as it is, considering all the drama it went through getting it on screen. So that's a 4, point, four out of 5, not a 4.5. I almost said 4.5 again. <laughs> Maybe I do want it to be that. I don't know. Right, here we go. Trivia time. Let's do this. You know too much for your own good. Now that's what I call using the old head. Oh, trivia time, trivia time. Time to see whose brain's good this time. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, where'd that come from? I'll let you know with you. Um, While I was having a piss. Brilliant. I did have words that I forgot what the words were. I don't know if you noticed. It was quite fluid. It's so good. (laughs) Okay, so uh, who is going first? True, I can't remember who went first last week. Neither can I. As always, I think I think George George went first. I think okay. And George, you're ahead, aren't you? So you could be this could be I the think first time in the entire ahead. podcast yes. that you could pull you up, actually pull away and get a proper. Lead oh my goodness! Here. Well, Rob has built up his so trivia. No, no pressure, buddy. So, I'm going to do this very professionally like George would. 
So, when it came to the film's climactic action sequence within Cassie's bedroom, there were certain mountains they had to overcome in order to use the beloved character of Thomas the Tank Engine. Thomas could not be seen doing anything evil and had to remain neutral in the fight. The owners were very protective, stating that no characters could be tied to the tracks, etc. <laughs> this is my trivia. Luckily, this is my trivia. the owners of the rights... This is so true. not my trivia. What the hell? Right. Keep going. I'm going to find something. L- Luckily, when the owners of the rights read the script, they found the proposed use hilarious. So you could say they were making a mountain out of an anthill. Oh. And at the end of that scene, Paxton is in the bedroom too. Paxton is, of course, played by Bobby Carnavale. Paxton is also a law enforcer, a police officer, if you will. Bobby is a slang term for a member of London's Metropolitan Police, derived from the name of Sir Robert Peel, who established in the, f- the force in 1829. Police officers in London are also known as Peelers for the same reason, the statue of which was in the Age of Ultron. <laughs> what just happened? Oh, mate, he's come out hard this week. He's not happy. He's not happy that you took the lead. Could I can, I can feel the you anger. imagine if I went first? And I started reading oh, out and his then trivia. He just... Well, I mean, that was a mic drop moment. I don't even think Rob should talk again after that. <laughs> um, I, right, okay. I've had to, in the space of you just got on 45 seconds, try and find whatever I could. And Mate, honestly, I don't even think it's worth it. It's worth it. it. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to lie. It's Is worth it, it okay. but I know what's going to happen. But here we go. Yep. Right, because I did actually read this earlier on, and I was meant to put it in my notes, but completely forgot to. Um, so, we have... <laughs> obviously, you'd think that... I haven't got this note. This is completely off my head. You'd <laughs> think stumbling that like um, Michael Douglas or Paul Rudd were the first people to portray Ant-Man on screen, much like Stan Lee said to Paul Rudd... Um, during their their, okay, their hour visit. Okay. Are you talking to me or Rob? Because I'm panicking. I'm talking okay. to you. I'll, I'll get there. Um, but uh, do you know the show Saturday Night Live? I do. So in 1979, they did a sketch mm. called Superhero Party. And one of the comedians, um, you know, their usual week in, week out um, mm-hmm. house yeah, staff. They host yeah, they yeah. um, he yeah, okay, yeah. was dressed as Ant-Man at the sketch superhero party. So he was actually the first person on screen to portray Ant-Man way back in 1979. Um, can you remember that first sequence when Scott Lang turns into Ant-Man? And like I said, he goes through the party, through the events and stuff like that. And he lands on a car. And uh, this is old yeah. gentleman in the car, just as Scott returns to full mm-hmm. size. That is Garrett yeah. Morris, the comedian that first portrayed Ant-Man back on Saturday Night Live in 1979. Here we go. I know Rob's still got it, but I pulled that back in about within a minute. Uh, yeah. No, to be fair, mate, you did well. <sighs> uh, you did well, but yeah, we oh, know Rob okay. gets the point. It's back to evens, man. One of you guys needs you to need take to the lead. Just sit it off, it seems... Get off the fucking fence, Colin. How am I on the fence? Got, oh, George is this week, Rob's this week, George is this week. Yeah, because you were better last week and Rob's better this week. <laughs> It's literally that simple. Maybe you should try what? harder, mate, and then you'll get some consistent I points, won't you? I had you? good trivia, but it was that good that it happened to be the same as Rob's. <laughs> I, I did know, add Rob the... Ex- I think it helps sometimes yeah. if you add the extra button about police trivia, as you did last you week. you stole from me, so... 
It's Colin's, <laughs> Colin's bag. He loves the police trivia because that's why you got it's the point last yeah. uh, Okay, good. It well. was both good. <laughs> They were both good, actually, George. I'm I'm very impressed with you getting that one at very the end. Very quickly, and, and yes. That but was I was good. going to sort of yeah. mention but, it you know, earlier on, but I forgot, so I had to quickly. Uh, it, was, it was my backup as well. <laughs> was it really? Yeah. I did oh, have to scramble to find it. Yeah. It's an audio commentary nice. fact. Oh, very oh. cool. Okay, so that's that for another week. Um, it always ends. This Stress. This podcast starts so lovingly in me complimenting you all, and I'm pretty sure I just shouted at you both. Um, so you yeah, did. Last it's week, fine, you said that if I had it's any the stone in my forehead, it would be the dickhead stone. <laughs> so you don't start episodes <laughs> nicely to us. But also, the trivia just brings out the, the, the real nature of you two, and I love it, it so much. This is, this is where the podcast takes a turn from being all like upbeat and just giggly to you two just shouting at each other about why you should have got the point. I love it. Right. Brilliant. Thank you all for listening. Um, so please take a look in our episode description for links to all of our social uh, media channels, where, as always, we'd love to know if you're doing your own MCU rewatch with us. Um, we'd love to have some of you on this journey with us, too. So, Colin, we've done phase two. Mm. Yeah, actually, I wanted to ask you guys about the whole phase thing, because... Why did it end phase two? Well, I mean, what's the point of having phases? Like, who made up the phases and why do they matter? Because it doesn't feel like phase two's ended. It didn't even feel like phase one ended. So I don't really know what the point of any of them are. Does it make more sense as it goes along? That's a question. Um... Because it doesn't mean anything to me. I feel that... I think it does. It does? <laughs> Not at this point. Okay. I feel by the time you look back, you'll be able to see how they are sort of like segmented periods of time for okay. the characters. Okay. Certain right. phases are set, setting up certain things, yeah. I think... I think maybe what has thrown me off is the fact that Ant-Man has ended Phase 2, which obviously wouldn't have been the initial plan. Mm-hmm. So if it had ended with an Avengers film, it would start to make more sense to me that, you know, you build up, you have the Avengers film, that's the end yeah. of the phase. But because it went into Ant-Man, it's kind of like, well, what? Well, Why in my it- usual initial setup where I talk about the development of the film and stuff like that, I felt like I was banging on too long. So I actually edited it down earlier on. And there was a quote I found from Kevin Feige explaining why they decided to end phase two with ant-man but it sounded so corporate and so bullshitty and so off the cuff i decided to get rid of it let me hear uh, it it's let gone should have been your trivia mate. it's gone should have been oh, it's trivia, gone, it? mate. Okay. um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but to be honest uh they they definitely uh, it was something along the lines of oh we just had this massive epic avengers movie and we just wanted to bring things back to scale for the end of the phase because we know how big phase three is gonna get who knows if it's real? Um, so, Sounds yeah, like bullshit, maybe. Man. But on to the epic, oh, so epic. I got goosebumps. I'm not joking. Phase three. Firstly, are you excited, Colin, to see where we're going to go next? Intrigued. Okay. <laughs> so where do you want to go next? Do you want another new character? Because yeah, we've just had one. Do you want to go join one of our old characters for a new adventure do you want to stay on earth do you want to go to space where are we going to go next colin brain i i think gauging from the second post-credit scene that might have sort of showed me where it's going maybe i don't think we're getting a new character again i don't think they're gonna they're gonna throw us a new 
a new sort of world and so what does this post credit scene make you feel like we're getting next mm-hmm. maybe a Captain America interesting because next week we are jumping back in to catch up with our good friend Steve Rogers as we hey. watch Captain America Civil War Okay, I think I remember seeing that that poster about a few mm. years ago. Colin, say bye. Bye bye. Rob, say bye. Bye bye. Bye. Next time we meet, let it be in peace and friendship. This is as far as you're going to get tonight. Such valuable stuff. All in a nice work. Sweet dreams, little friends. And we're not done just yet, listeners. Yes, we have not just one, but two post-credit scenes this week. So, in our mid-credit scene, Hank Pym shows Hope a new Wasp prototype suit and offers it to her. She might as well have looked at the screen and said... Next time, baby. Next time, baby. Uh, Colin, are you excited to see Hope now suit up and take on some bad guys too? Yes. <laughs> Why not? As infused as ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what do you want me to do, man? I'm, yeah, fine. Throw her in there, see what happens. I'll let you know Throw what she's in. Throw her in there to see what happens. Rob, I mean, <laughs> this this mid credit scene was much better than Thanos' I'll do it myself scene from last week, right? Oh, yeah, it was a much better sting, wasn't it? Oh, oh. oh it was good. That was good. <laughs> I like it. I like Thank it. You. It was Why? better than good. It was fantastic. Oh. <laughs> oh. I've made you a new suit. <laughs> Help. Christ, Rob. Oh. Time you become the worst. Colin is begging for this to be over. In a yeah, <laughs> second purposefully saved them to after the trivia as well <laughs> in a second credit scene i think we may have to break this down a little bit because i don't know about you colin but that felt super confusing to me so yeah we open in what looks like a garage of some sort and we see bucky barnes aka the winter soldier with his arm trapped in some sort of vice yeah, sam yeah, wilson yeah. the falcon enters the garage and calls for cap Steve Rogers enters the frame. Sam looks to Cap and says, this would have been a lot easier a week ago. Steve replies, if we call Tony, he won't believe us. To which Sam replies, even if he did, who knows if the Accords will let him help. Steve then looks dejected and says, so we're on our own. Sam Wilson gives a little smirk and says, maybe not. I know a guy. Colin, help me. What's going on here? Who or what are the Accords? Mm. Was the Tony they're referring to Tony Stark? Definitely. What would he not believe that they finally caught Bucky? Because that seems pretty believable to me. Help me out, Colin. What does this all mean? I love this tact that you're taking with this. Well, I think... To- <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the Tony reference is definitely Iron Man. The Accords, that's that could be anything. Um... 
I I thought that when he was saying the very last bit when he says, uh, "Is it I might mm. know a guy," or, or he, I thought that would just be Ant-Man because after he because says, "Just finished," I know a guy. It fades to black, and the words "Ant Man" and will it says "Ant Man will return." Right? Yeah. So I, I that that I got from it. The reason why the Winter Soldier has got his arm stuck in a vice, and they're in this you know unidentified location mm. with him, I have no idea. I gather that we'll probably. Oh wait, it's Captain America next. It is. He said Civil War. Hmm. So I, I gather that the questions will be answered in that. Film. Yes, it's a bit of a different post-credit scene because it is literally a scene from the next movie put in mm. there. So it's not like something they yeah. shot differently. Oh, okay. That so is that a scene is, from Civil we're gonna War. We're going to see that exact. Oh, okay, that. that I don't like when they yet, do that. You don't. I'm throwing it out there. Nah. Do you think it's a bit, bit, bit easy? Yeah, I don't want a trailer. I don't want a um, a scene that's in the next film. Give me something mm. that's going to tease the next film mm. that isn't in it, that's unique to the end credits. It just feels a bit like... I mean, at the time, we didn't know it wasn't going to be in... It was going to be in the next film. Sure, yeah. So it was pumped. But then when you watch the next film, you're like, oh, I've seen this. <laughs> Was a bit, yeah, I don't what, know. What, was there a big reaction from the fan base with that? Like, were, were there lots of theories being thrown around? And uh, things for like sure, that? especially in regards yeah. to the accords. Yes, um, mm. and people were quite excited that they were maybe talking about Tony. And people really do imagine if it wasn't Tony. <laughs> imagine if it wasn't Iron Man. Like he, the Tony they're talking about was someone else, like Tony Stank or something. <laughs> Some random Tony. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I quite like it because every single line is just so vague to me. This would have yeah, been a lot easier a, lot of a week ago. If we call Tony, he won't believe us. If he did believe us, who knows if the Accords will even let him, let him, let him help. It's like, what, what's going on? And I, I liked it for that reason. It just confused the life out of me when I first saw it. Mm. So we will see this scene again. So Ant-Man... Sorry, no, no. You sure? I was just, oh, I was just thinking. So, does that mean Ant Man's popping up in the next in a in a Captain? That America would be very film? quick, wouldn't I, it? I, it would, and for some reason, which is silly of me to have thought, but I just imagine that we're only going to see these guys all group up in Avengers films. But why? Because we're all in the same world, and we had Falcon turn up in this. So why not have some of the bigger dudes? Who turn says Ant Man yeah, can't so, turn up in America? Captain America Civil exactly. War. Exactly. I think we might see Paul Rudd in the next one. Excited about that? I am. Yeah, cool. intrigued. In that case, are we still watching this one together? Yes, I was just about to. Oh, I was, was just that what about you wanted to, to close do? out, and this has been the plan since day one as well. We, I really, really, really want us three to watch Civil War together, only because. Oh no, I won't say. I, I enjoy it, and I'd like to see. Uh, I'd like to watch it with you both. Um, so. Clearly a big one then. Who knows? So uh It's a good it's, one. Yeah. In our opinion. It's all right. Um so uh we <laughs> listeners, you will know on the next episode whether we have watched this together or not, whether we could uh be able to figure out our schedules or not. <laughs> In that case, everyone, thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay well, stay nerdy. <laughs>